Rob, and I'm the host of Real Friends, a podcast dedicated to sharing the real stories of real friends with the belief that each one of us wants to be fully known and fully loved. What's your fondest memory of your mom and dad? Do you have one? In spite of his parents' divorce and a challenging home life, which left him living on the streets of Los Angeles at 14, Rob still shares fond memories of both his mom and dad and reminds us of the unconditional love most children instinctively have for their parents. Today, in part two of this three-part series, Rob shares his experience as a first-generation Hispanic American, what it was like to grow up in a diverse neighborhood absent of racial prejudice, and how he navigated the challenges of living on the streets of L.A. as a young teenager. If you enjoy honest, reflective, laughter-filled conversation, I'm sure you'll enjoy part two of Rob's story. Thank you for listening. This is Real Friends. All right, let's pick back up after we've moved to our new location. Um, so again, what I wanted to go ahead and do now is let's transition. Let's start the beginning because the beginnings, the early formative years, whether we're conscious about it or not, a lot of times shape and influence a large portion of who we are and how life plays out. So for better or for worse, if things are good for us as we're a kid growing up, a lot of times we get to benefit from that and spend our years um, in a healthy way. Um, if things have been rough, tough, family of origin type stuff, um, when we're a kid, a lot of times we spend years unpacking and dealing with some of the, the fallout and trauma we experience early in life. So tell me about your childhood and years of the youth. What are your earliest memories as a child growing up? Good, bad, or somewhere in between? Well, interestingly enough, the uh, the young, well, back then I wasn't wasn't uh, addressed as Robert. I was Billy. Why's that? Because my father was Robert. Ah. He went by Bobby. And that's why I don't respond to Bob or Bobby, because that's not me. So I went by my middle name, which was Billy, and I dropped that after school because there's not very many CEOs named Billy. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was a little kid, Billy, you know, kind of like had a lot of fun. Yeah. A lot of freedom. In a good way or a bad way? Oh, I think in a in a good way. Yeah. yeah the, uh, I think it was that uh, that's. That, that picture of, of what we see like in movies where you know we, we would leave the house at you know daybreak and play with our friends all day in the summer and not come back till the lights went on in yeah. the streets and uh, I, I think my childhood for the most part was was absolutely a blast yeah, yeah. Awesome. I, I think I had a great a great childhood and we didn't have a lot. Um, I think when I when I tell people this, uh, sometimes there's a level of surprise. But I am I am first generation. Uh, I was meaning, the first in my family what? to be born in the United States. Oh wow! Yeah, both my parents were born in Mexico. Wow. And um, is there any backstory about them coming to <laughs> the United States that you'd like to share? Yeah, well, there there is. Uh, uh, you know, interestingly enough, I I. Uh, there's actually, I think, two really key components of my backstory when it comes to my parents. Um, one of the things is they did not want me to follow in my father's footsteps. And so? My father was an auto mechanic, yeah. and he spent a lot of time in the garage. And so I wasn't allowed in the garage. Mm. Um, I don't think I saw the inside of the garage till I was well into my teens. Wow. And uh, wasn't allowed to pick up wrenches, wasn't allowed to... You know, to do any of that kind of things, and the other, I think, interesting aspect of my childhood was uh, English is my primary language. Mm. Uh, in fact, to the point that my parents actually forbid anybody for speaking Spanish in my presence. Wow, uh, which that? included my grandmother, who only spoke Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a little rough on her. <laughs> What'd you do? Like a lot of sign language. Oh, a lot like, of sign language. Here, yeah, over there. and 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 then my grandmother was a very uh, tough uh, individual as well. So, you know, she yielded when she wanted to. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, but I did grow up with a lot of Spanglish. Yeah, you know. So, yeah. um, how that culminates that that strategy culminates is, um, I grew up a a brown kid 
but really didn't know what my heritage was. Didn't know what my background was or my story. So I kind of grew up without identity. Yeah. Um, because I, my parents did not want me to have that that connection. They, mm. they did not want me to feel like I was a Mexican-American. And where we grew up, we grew up in California. Uh-huh. We grew up in an agricultural city. Uh, my father was a civil employee of the uh, of the government and was an auto mechanic at the Navy Exchange. Mm-hmm. And we basically kind of lived on and off of two military bases. So I I really didn't feel connected to the community per se. You know where there was so much ag people and yeah. and all my friends were Filipinos and yeah. and. Uh, some Hispanics and some, some you know Anglo kids and, but really it's just a huge mix of people. Yeah. Like, uh, I think I grew up in that American dream uh, reality. You know, yeah. the little suburb in California with, uh, with uh, just a mix of every nationality on earth was living in our neighborhood. Did you feel there was any type of bias or prejudice against you because you were Hispanic? So that was one of the most interesting things. I grew up and did not see any real practical examples of racism and bias till I was much into my younger adult years. Why do you think that was? Just because of where I grew up, it was just so, so much of a mixture that there, there just wasn't any predominant demographic to to talk bad about another demographic you know so you know there there just wasn't a lot of per se white people and there wasn't a lot of black people there wasn't a lot of you know asian people it was it was just a really nice mix of people so how do you think that impacted you and your outlook on uh, different ethnic groups and being prejudiced or biased well i i think for the positive side of that is i i actually grew up not having any of those uh and i and i still don't really feel like any of those things have major contributing impacts into the way I feel. And, and so it's kind of an interesting dynamic with me now as an adult is that I don't see people for their race per se or anything like that, but I see people for the actions that they do and what they do and how they conduct themselves. And that's, that's where I see the people. And and so my, my biases are based on their character, not so much their appearance. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that was a, a neat, um, that was one of the neat things about my childhood that I, I, uh, uh cling on to and, and, uh, and I tell that story actually quite often Yeah. and it, and it leads people to kind of like shaking their head with me cause they can't believe anybody could actually live like that or be like that. And, um, so I end up with, you know, some pretty creative uh, nicknames. My nickname in college was coconut brown on the outside white on the inside mm, mm. and so you know which, which was you know ex- exactly meant as a racial slur yeah, however i kind of just viewed it as yeah that's exactly who i am you know mm. as in a weird stupid way yeah. you know um but uh, so that yeah that's one of the things in my childhood yeah Gr- growing up hispanic and not knowing you're hispanic was kind of a weird thing and and uh the uh, uh you know uh you know, clearly, I, I I love Chinese food as much as I love Mexican food. You know, those these had things they had some pretty big impacts on me. Um, because and it's because my my parents like took a real active part of like making sure formatively that I don't fall into a rut that they viewed as being uh, uh, detrimental to my to yeah. to me meeting my total. Um, uh, capabilities. Yeah. And Did your parents want you to view yourself as um, American first, and then Hispanic second? Yeah, actually American only. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, they highly emphasize that. Yeah. And in fact, it, that actually, I still kind of self-describe myself as that. When yeah. somebody asks me what's my nationality, I say I'm American. Yeah. I say I have, I have Hispanic uh, descendancy, but I am American. Right. right. And, you know, it's kind of a weird hang-up, and I know people get hung up with it. My daughter, Sarah, gets hung up with that. She does yeah. not like that at all. Yeah. But that's the way I've, I was, I, I've self-identified myself. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, that was kind of interesting. That's one thing in, in my childhood that was interesting. The, uh, 
the um, you know I I think I've said a couple times in here we we were definitely not affluent you know we this was we grew up in an ag in you know an ag yeah. uh, community my dad was an auto mechanic you know that you know they they lived check for check and you know they they still bent over backwards to do what they could to take care of us yeah so what was your family life like growing up do you have brothers and sisters your parents was your uh, family life was it solid was it unstable was there divorce in your family life so i have i have one sister okay she's a couple years younger than me okay and um we yeah i think we had a a non-traditional type family where looking back on it now I don't think I ever had the real opportunity of actually forming a relationship with my father. How so? Um, <clears throat> again, it goes back to how hard he had to work. Yeah. Um, you know, 12 to 14 hours a day, every day, you know, six days a week type yeah. thing. What do you uh, think were your parents' love language? How did they try to express their love for you? Yeah, I... You know, I remember getting more so gifts from them than anything else. And because we weren't um, in any way well off, like any gift was a big deal, you know. And it and it's not like the dramatic thing where, you know, you get one sock for your birthday and one sock for <laughs> Christmas. No. But it was kind of limited to the fact that you should only expect a gift at any time only on your birthday and only at christmas yeah and and that was perfectly okay with me because i you know i really didn't view that as being you know the way they showed their affection yeah and i think while i was growing up like i i believe and i think this is primarily because of my mother yeah really explaining to to myself and my sister that my dad worked as hard as he did was for us yep. specifically for yeah. us and so you know and, and and it wasn't for the purpose of putting guilt on us even though I mean there was some you know subversive things there about yeah you should do well in your school because look how hard your dad worked kind yeah. of thing which is you know a great mechanism for getting us to work harder at school yeah uh, which clearly worked for me um, and my sister per se but uh uh, I really took it to heart. And one of the things in my childhood that was probably different than your typical childhood is that I had a extreme passion for science and math uh, to the point that I actually used that passion to open up my own doorways. How so? Um, so I, um, again, it, starting from a hobby and a, and a and a, a like turning it into a passion um, and then figuring out a way to gain scholarship. And that's how I ended up going, kind of getting out of my neighborhood, per se, yeah. and getting out of the, the public school that I was going to go to and going to Catholic high school. I was the only one in my hmm. entire school district that actually went to this Catholic high school. This Catholic high school was considered the top high echelons of schooling at, at a high school level for the entire county. Yeah. And so I was, I got, I put myself in a position of, of getting into that school. And that was a real foreign thing for my parents. Yeah. They, you know, they didn't understand that. And yeah. um, I think I'm looking back, my poor dad probably thought I was an alien just in the things that were of interest to me versus what interests him. I mean, he's he's nuts and bolts, and I'm aerospace engineering. Do you think your dad was proud of you? I, I, um, I'm fairly sure that my dad was, was very proud of me. And did uh, he ever express that to you? He told me later in life that he was. And um, unfortunately, um, we didn't have a great relationship yeah. when it came to connecting. But, but as it got close to the end of his life, um, you know, he told me how he felt. And unfortunately, because there was just this massive amount of guilt on him, 
mm. about uh, my parents not being able to make their marriage last and and just a lot of the things that happened after the fact yeah um, that guilt pretty much ate him up yeah. and he just couldn't get to the point where uh, even though he was completely forgiven yeah and expressed I literally forgave him for everything he thought he had ever done yeah and he still couldn't get over that to you know to to put himself in our life and we really wanted him to and we just couldn't get him to yeah. and and that's an unfortunate thing i i uh, i've had to go many years feeling bad about that but now i've kind of got to the point where i can't own what he sure. decided to do right and uh in uh, all the whiles you know there was probably some fairly good reasons why he did certain things and and um, like for example like I mentioned earlier about adopting those three young young girls and and being a father for them yeah that was, that's a weird you know transition but if I could have you know if I could do anything I could give up my father so that three kids could have one for a short period of time yeah absolutely anytime that how'd be, that make you feel yeah you know at first it's a weird it's Any a weird resentment? thing I, I don't know not not against the the kids obviously yeah. but uh, but it was it's hard to understand my um, my sister still has some deep harbored resentment in yeah. that area and and, uh, and and she's had some issues expressing that and and she's expressed it very strangely in you know where like she paid for the funeral and yeah <laughs> that's that really caught me off guard um, but uh, but you know those are the I it was weird in my <laughs> it's like we said earlier about when you look back at the things that have happened then that those things where God intervened become so evidently clear the only thing I really connected with my father in was fishing hmm. yeah that's the only wow. thing we did together and we would go fishing every opportunity we had hmm. and we loved fishing yeah and I loved fishing with him. And I know he loved fishing with me. Yeah. So is that your fondest memory of your dad is fishing with your oh, dad? Oh, yeah, hands down. Yeah, yeah. that's, I mean, it's, there's probably 25 stories I could tell yeah. you about fishing with my dad yeah. before I get to the point of talking about, oh, there was this one Christmas. Yeah. That was our thing. And when I moved away from him and he moved up into Washington, we we didn't get to do that and i i remember our last fishing trip uh matthew was seven months old yeah and we had flown up to washington to introduce him to his grandfather first time first time wow and uh and first first for a lot of things yeah you know it was weird to get on a plane with a baby yeah. even back then yeah and um uh we fly up we spend the uh, the better part of a uh, of a couple weeks with them, and um, and it you know it's absolutely amazing. And my my last memory of fishing with him was one that I cherished a bunch because he we were sitting there doing nothing. I think we were watching like a Howie Mandel movie or something yeah. like that, and just enjoying quiet. Right, baby's asleep. It's seven months old. I'm dead, tired, exhausted. Yeah. And I'm about to fall asleep on the couch, and he's like, hey, you want to go fishing? And I'm like, oh, yeah, let's go. <laughs> right? Uh, beautiful. He hands beautiful. me a pole. We walk out the back door. Okay. We walk 20 feet to a stream, and we start fishing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is this is heaven. Yeah. This, is, this, is, this was my heaven at yeah. that time. Yeah. My happiest point at my point in my life, you know? Young father, beautiful wife, fishing with my dad yeah. in his backyard. Yeah, that is a slice of heaven. It is. It was, and that's one of the memories I cherish. So, is that part of what you remember, like when you come out here and fish out here? You know, interestingly enough, my connection with my worldly father yeah. has a connection with fishing, but also my connection with my heavenly father. Is related to fishing as well. Uh. So my love for fishing, uh, again, goes back like to be a passion. And so in my, uh, so my parents got divorced when I was uh, uh, middle part of high school, or they started separating yeah. when they're middle part of high school. 
And um, I didn't really have the advantage of going fishing with my father at that time. Gotcha. Um, because he'd rather be away from the house. And I totally get that. So I didn't have that advantage, but I'd still want to go fishing. So I would literally go before school, before high school yeah. started. I would drive out to the beach and go fishing by myself. And oh, I'm bouncing around the story so much here. <laughs> but I had, I had a, um, I had a moment where I was out on a jetty by myself, a um, half a mile away from any other soul. Bring me out. What's a jetty? Uh, a jetty is a rock formation, uh, a, a, okay. a man a man-made rock formation that goes out in the ocean okay. that protects a harbor from the impacts of waves okay. and, and all that. So, yeah. um, so I'm out there. It's it's uh, before the sun rises, and I have a moment where God decides to just give me a picture of His Majesty. Mm. and I'm out there and I can't see anything I am literally blind to what's 10 feet in front of me because of the fog? because the sun hasn't come up oh, yet okay. and there's this shadow effect it's hard to explain but I just yeah. you can't see what's in the water and I'm talking about okay. in the water gotcha. gotcha but I but I hear something moving around me hmm and it seems to be something different than I've ever, yeah. ever heard before. And as the rays of light are coming up above the mountains, I realize that I'm in the middle of this pod of porpoise. Wow. And it's hundreds of them. Oh my goodness. And they're, wow. they, and they're, they're, so they're on their, 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 I guess you could call their their breeding yeah. migration, okay. and they're coming back from the um, from the warm waters, and they all have their little baby porpoises, and uh, and, and it's it's spectacular, yeah. and oh they're gosh. popping out of the water, feet away from me yeah. to look at me. Uh, wow! They're 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 so wow. inquisitive. They're looking at me, yeah. trying to figure out what this creature is. Yeah. Standing out here in the middle of nowhere. And as the sun rises, I see that beyond me and my little world, there's this just amazing creation out there. And it just, it was that, it's, it's, it was spectacular. Yeah, that's neat. I've never ever seen anything except the look in. Except when my 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 babies were born and they locked eyes with me, I've never ever experienced anything so amazing. That's neat. Yeah. And you know, it's it's an interesting picture of the whole thing because so I grew up and we didn't even talk about the like the spiritual part of my family. Yeah. Absolutely no connection to church or anything like uh. that, but. God was a big part of our house. Okay. How you so? know, prayers at meals. Okay. Creepy crucifix on the wall, which that's what I used to call it. Gotcha. Yeah. You know, when you're a kid, it's hard to understand what that's about. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, we went to church on the, on the, uh, you know, the, the priesters. Yeah. The Christmas and Easter. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and then that, that was in Latin or Spanish. Oh, wow. Which I speak neither. <laughs> <laughs> so it's hard to actually make a connection. Yeah. But I don't remember any time in my life that I didn't know that God wasn't there for me. Yeah. Like it was, it was like being out on that jetty. Yeah. I was all alone. I'm blind, but he's all around me. Yeah. That's, that was, that was an, that was a message for me. Yeah. That was to tell me I, he gets it. He gets it. He understands how I how I know him. Yeah. And it's funny because I anchored on that for many years, mm. many many years. Anchored in terms. A- anchored of... on that on that spiritual connection. Ah, okay. Um, and so you know, growing up in the Catholic Church, I actually had some issues with the Catholic Church where I didn't agree with some of the what I considered the man made sacraments per se. Yep. 
and I had a I had a problem with that because you know basically I didn't really have a, a a real strong relationship with God. Like I I don't remember ever talking to God. So what was your faith walk like during that age, that season of your life? Just knowing that that God existed and that clearly He was responsible for everything. Yeah, He's laying your path down. Yeah. Um, but not understanding that there could be a personal relationship. Yeah. yeah. So I was missing Big that distinction. Yeah, yeah, I was. Oh, it was a huge distinction, yeah. and that continued with me until I actually I got married and and had kids, and then, and then you you get this responsibility when you're a parent, and then you you know you read the scriptures like you you, you have a responsibility to be the pastor of your house. Yeah. And I and I want to do what God wants me to do, of course, yeah. and. I don't want to be disobedient because you know you, you read the Old Testament and you don't you don't want to be, you don't want to be disobedient. <laughs> you don't want to suffer God's. Uh, oh no right, no yeah. Right. So so now I have you know two children at that time, and I and I don't know what to do. I I don't know what steps to take. I don't have any friends that I can go and actually talk to about this. I don't I don't have a relationship with a pastor that I can go and, and say what do I do from this point yeah and so I go back and I go back to what I'm anchored in and that I know God in nature and so I start teaching Matt and Sarah that God's all around us through nature and I remember having some amazing spiritual uh, moments with them I remember I was with Matt and he was I think about seven years old and, and we were driving from um from Ventura County to uh, Santa Barbara County, and we had to go through this mountain pass, and it was foggy and scary, and and uh, uh, I was just nervous because it was so dangerous, and but I didn't want Matt to, you know, in any way feel that, so I had to put on this act, right. and, yes. and I mean, I'm literally sweating, and. Uh, uh, and then the sun comes up and I, and I know where I'm at and I can, I'm a little bit reassured as that, okay, we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. And I ask him, I said, Hey, do you want to stop? If there's this really cool place that's, we might see an Eagle or something. Yeah. And he's like, Oh yeah. You know, cause he's seven and we stop and it just happens that this particular lookout was just above the level of the clouds. Oh wow. And we got wow. out and it was just me and him. There's nobody for miles yeah. around, and the sun's coming up, yeah. and I'm thinking, wow, eight or so years before this, I had the exact same situation, yeah. and then I'm telling him the story, and he's just sitting there in awe, and I and I see the opportunity to say, this is this is what God's about here, boy, yeah. you yeah. know, you know about God. We told you all the stories, right? Yeah. I said, but this is what God is. This is God all around us right now. And it had an impact on it. Yeah. And I and I remember having similar situations with Sarah, not as dramatic, but there was such a it was such a cool place to be and it's like uh, and it convinces me of one thing that you don't have to be locked into religion or even part of a community for God to have this impact on you because he knew I was stranded out there I was yeah. all by himself by myself and I didn't know where to go and I like literally was like how do I do this and he came to us in this in this way and he even repeated something for me that I could recognize even this even this guy yeah like he made something so simple that was so beautiful that I could even recognize the connection. Yeah. And, and, I, and that's why I think it's just remarkable. So. Yeah. Um, so before we get too far into that story, I want to go back a little bit in your story in terms of your mom and dad getting a divorce. How do you think that impacted you and your sister growing up? Yeah, well, it it had a huge impact on, on me. Um not necessarily emotionally, uh, because I think at my age and I think when it was all finished and done, I was 18. Mm -hmm. 
but it was all kind of culminating since I was about 13, 14. Was there a lot of arguing that took place in the house? Oh, there was, yeah, it okay. was... Um, Did you guys get pulled yeah. into the arguing, have to pick sides or anything like yeah, that? Yeah, like all, all the worst things, dad? yeah. This, yeah. Everything that's bad in those situations, yeah. outside of it being physically abusive that's that's yeah. where it did that's you know it wasn't that but but it was it was really torturous it yeah. was it was horrible situation yeah. Been there. Yep. you know it was i i remember you know just getting drawn into these things and you know and I, 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 as a 15 year old boy just kind of like uh you know feeling that what my father was doing was inappropriate and and challenging him and, and having a fist fight with my father yeah, wow. at, at 15 years old. Yeah. And, and um, So how do you think that impacted you? Oh, it, it was, I, I think it, it impacted me in, in a lot of different ways. It just like, it, it made me really not, not understanding that this relationship could get to that point. You know, it's like, it's really it's a self-betrayal you know it's like everything you think is right is wrong yeah and uh that's brutal but on the flip side of that um it was also the beginning of me choosing to think independently and so it, it unfortunately it forced me into being a man per se like where like i needed to think about how to take care of myself I needed to make decisions for myself and and, uh, and 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 not be too concerned about you know the house falling apart per se. I got to go build my own house, and so I was really driven to getting out. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, I ended up actually leaving my house when I was fourteen and. And, Where'd you go? Oh, everywhere. Hmm. And Who'd you any, live with? Any family that would take me in, ah. friends. I. So how did that impact you? Well, it's. I you know it was. Um, it's horrible to. Did you uh, feel like you could trust family at that age? Well, I mean, some family. Yeah. Yeah, some family. You know, there's agendas and. You know, it's it's horrible. Yeah. I mean, I looking back on it, it's like you know, it's so, so it was, how did you it was terrible it to feel years? alone. Yeah. And I and I truly felt like alone. Yeah. So who'd you turn to at that stage or that season of your life for support to so, help you just survive? Yeah, I had a you know, it's interesting. I had a lot of friends. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I have. Uh, I think been blessed over the years of just having a lot of friends all the time. So I, I had friends. I, you know, it's funny. I, I ended up in, a, in essence gravitating to a lot of my friends' parents. Yeah. You know, like I spent a lot of holidays at at friends' houses. Yeah. And and they and they would invite me because they knew the situation I was in. Yeah. And so I kind of supplemented all that uh, loss in my family with just leeching on to other families yeah um, so as a parent did you ever find yourself doing similar situation for either sarah or matt where they had friends who were kind of having rough times in their family oh yeah definitely okay yeah, yeah we uh yeah, our our house has uh, always been the open house yeah. the uh uh, and even before Sarah and Matt were of, of an age where that would be an impactful thing, um, I would do that work, yeah. you know, where um, we would have somebody that just moved to the area with no family and, we'd, you know, come to Christmas at our family. And, and as, as weird as that is, you know, because for somebody that doesn't understand that, that's, that's pretty weird, you know, that somebody would open their house like that. Yeah. And and we would. That was one of the things that we used to do quite often. And it, and it's a direct result of both of us. I yeah. mean, collectively, my wife and I not having really strong family connections. Yeah. At least that uh, in our in our younger yeah. years. So let's talk about that. You're 14 ish. You've moved out on your own. Right. Uh, continue the story until you meet Stephanie, and then tell me how you and Stephanie connected. Sure. How you decide to get married. And tell me how you proposed to her. <laughs> oh, wow. 
so the um, you know uh, I'm off on my own mentally physically by myself yeah. just relying on myself work I'm working for my family which is awkwardly weird I don't live with my mom but I work for my mom mm. How what weird is that? that? Uh, I worked in a produce store. We, uh. our family owned a, a, a whole network of, of uh. produce and grocery stores. Wow. Yeah. Entrepreneurs, business owners. Yeah. yeah. My my mom, which I'm very proud of, actually ran one of those stores independently for many, many years um, after gonna, the divorce. While you're on that topic, and before we get into your and Stephanie's story, I also wanted to find out what are you your fondest memories of your mom it could be proudest moments, but fondest memories of your mom. Yeah. Um, yeah my, my mom is uh, interesting. The uh, I, I don't know if this falls into the fondest, yeah, or right. it's just one of those things where it's like, I will never forget how the whole process happened. Yeah. But, uh, so I know this might be a little difficult to even imagine, but I was somewhat of a pistol when I was a little kid. <laughs> you know, very talkative. I like to joke around, yeah. you know. I like to push authority <laughs> as a kindergartner. Yeah. As yeah. a first grader. My mom was called to my school so often when I was care? in first and second grade yeah. that they offered her a job. <laughs> Principal Rudy Valley, who I will never forget, rest in peace, uh, got to know my mom so well because of my behavior that he thought that she would make a good teacher. Love it. Love and me and and invited her to work as a teacher's assistant. Yeah. And at the same time, keep it monitor me right yes so it's a win-win for him right it's a pure it's brilliant management <laughs> that's <laughs> Looking why he's back principal, on it now. right yeah. yeah and so this kind of leads to like what i'm very proud of my mom about is that she in essence took no education no formal education as a as somebody that came to the to america at nine years old didn't speak english learned at an aggressive pace became a eventually became a teacher became one of the pioneers of the bilingual education program in california uh, with with her and and uh, one of my friends one of the other teachers uh helen ubex and they became uh, uh pioneers in areas one of the things i'm very proud of my mom in that she did and it's so strange that the that the backstory is is that she was tr- trained she was teaching kids in Spanish so they didn't fall behind yeah and she never ever taught yes, me one right. word of Spanish <laughs> there's some irony in that there's a yeah. huge amount of irony in that <laughs> and having to in essence uh, the the big joke is you know having to take Spanish in high school right. and getting a B <laughs> <laughs> and being shamed by sister Joanna for being Jimenez and not being able to pronunciate words. And, uh, I love that. I but love I, that. but I, I think my mom is is uh, really amazing. Um, and when she gets backed into a corner, and I, I think this is characteristics I share with her yeah. that when we have to, we perform. Yeah. And I, I share that with her, and I, and I. I love that she instilled that in him. Yeah, yeah. That's so, cool. So, uh, uh, yeah, proud moment. So, yeah, he took me off that thing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. let's continue now with your story. Yeah, so... Uh, yeah, so, uh, interestingly enough, I'm I'm kind of, like, just doing my thing, right? And I and I, I get into the high school I want to do, and, and it's, it's creating this, laying out this path for me, and... And though I never saw college as being an option early in, in my life, it's all of a sudden there's there's college there, and and so uh, you know so I go for it, and uh, uh, I go to college, and then my parents get divorced, and then this is when the true pawn uh, uh, pawn parts come out, where uh, my tuition is a uh, a condition of the divorce, mm. and mm. I. I took such offense to that. I mean, I took it as a personal offense that they were fighting over 
who paid for my education. Gotcha. Yeah. And and I was on a path of actually uh, going. Uh, I was at a Christian college, uh, Westmont College in, in Santa Barbara, and I I was on the path of actually graduating after four years with a dual degree. Wow. Yeah, a mass or a, a bachelor of science in business and a bachelor of arts in liberal studies. Yeah. And. I was well on that path, and then when all that came down, and I kind of felt like I was being manipulated, I sabotaged myself. Hmm. How so? Yeah, I just decided to stop. Hmm. I stopped working. I stopped working for myself, and I and I just made it fun, and I and I made I made them waste all that money on me. Did you do that out of anger? Was I was very mean? angry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I was. I was. I was so angry. If you could I do mean, it my, all over again, would you have made the same choice and decision? Uh, no, no. Yeah. There's no way. There's no way I would have done that. But, again, looking back on it, I couldn't actually finish there and have the story I have now. Yeah, true. So there was a, there was a reason I needed to actually yeah. go yeah. through that trial. And... I think it was, and this is weird, it's a weird rationale to this whole thing, but I think it was okay that I was actually mad. Sure. Yeah, because it was unfair. Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, it's funny how your life stories always interconnect. Yeah. Always, there's always this web. Yeah. So like I said, I always had a feeling of being unworthy. Yeah. But now, first time in my life, I'm mad because somebody did something to me that took away from me yeah. something that I worked really hard to be worthy of and somebody took it away from me and it made me really mad could you share that at, at your age with either one of your parents no no I didn't come out could you share it with anybody that. what you were feeling no not even with with the school because I'm sure if I would have told the school what was going on yeah. they would have done something with it, it was, yeah. you know it was a Christian college do you think that's why you kind of sabotage things yourself I I knew you know, I you know I'm, I've always been smart, and so I knew exactly how, to to make the worst out of my situation. Kind of a passive aggressive approach. Yeah, and it, it's interesting how easy that is to do. And uh, you know that's a dangerous thing with with kids. I remember when we worked with youth, and I told them I says, you can be your worst your own worst enemy. Yeah. I mean that that is you know that's not written anywhere, but I'm yeah. going to tell you right now. I know mm -hmm. firsthand, you could be your worst your own worst enemy. And believe me, I knew exactly how to destroy my life, yeah. Yeah. and and do it, you know, for for impact. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. That was a that was a tough time. Yeah. So how'd you rebound from that? What happened after that? Well, again, you call it luck or call it uh, coincidence. God's way of staying anonymous. God will stay anonymous. Yep. My grandfather, which is very important to me. Yeah. It's always been a backbone for me when I was weak. Yeah. Always my place of refuge yeah. when I didn't have a place to sleep. Yeah. You know, and I believe me, I had years of places where I didn't have a place to sleep. Where did you sleep? Did, did you ever sleep out oh. on the streets? Oh, like every, that? Yeah. yeah. I yeah, I spent many times in my truck and Yeah. Yeah. At the, Luckily, California is you can survive in you know, on the beach, you know, yeah. for small periods of yeah. time, and yeah, um, yeah, and you know, but it's not it's not sustainable. So, yeah. it's it, that's one thing you. It's very hard, and I and I'm so impassioned with people that are homeless because you you have no idea how hard that life is. It is amazingly difficult and I know that firsthand. Yeah. Um because you lived that lifestyle for parts of your life. Parts of my life, yeah. yeah. For like yeah, significant parts of my yeah. life. Yeah. Um I think it probably stunted my growth actually because I mean my physical growth mm. because I was like I could never stretch out my yeah. truck, you know. <laughs> but uh, uh I say that jokingly of course. <laughs> but the uh uh but going back to my grandfather, my grandfather was my um was kind of like my refuge, my your sanctuary. Anchor, your hero. Yep. And what's interesting about my grandfather is that he's not blood relative. He married my grandmother when I was five years old. Ah. And um, we had a very special relationship because I was the oldest grandchild at the time, too. 
and the uh, we we you know we got to be like the buddies, the pals, yeah. you know, which was pretty interesting. And as, so then you know, time moves on, and and uh, you know I'm showing up at their front door in the middle of the night, soaking wet, and you know it's come in, and and um, and then years later, I'm sabotaged. I'm trying to go to community school because I realized how stupid I was. Um, and it's just not working. Yeah, it's not working. I can't, I can't do it for some reason. I can't, I can't get motivated enough to do it. And I'm angry at everything. And my grandfather says to his son, my uncle Rick, "Can you help him?" And so my uncle gets me an interview at Procter and Gamble for a new division that they're starting up. And he's and everybody in my family knows that I'm a, a science nut. Yeah. And there's a laboratory, and he says, "You think you might want to work at this laboratory?" And I'm like, "You know what? That sounds great." Yeah. And I and he just opens up the doorways, and I get an opportunity to work in a laboratory. I'm fulfilling my life's dreams at this point, and I am happier than I've ever been. And this is like I'm in my young twenties at this point, and I don't know. I can't think of anything else better. You haven't graduated college, right? No, I didn't graduate college. Yeah, I'm still (laughs) without degree. Strangely enough, Mm -hmm. Um, though, it's funny because I've had. I have a lot of degree people that work for me. Right. Well, I think <laughs> so, that it's a great testament that you don't have to have a degree to be successful in life. Well, so. it's it's about acknowledging gifts that are given to you. Yeah. And that's one of the things. God gave me the ability to communicate. Yeah. And I use that for work, and I use that for everything else yeah. that he challenges me to do. Yeah. And it's funny because this, again, interweaves into going to work for Procter & Gamble, and and being the, uh, you know, the lead lab tech for yeah. uh, what's called the Citrus Hill Orange Juice line, and and in essence, kind of starting this career with Procter and Gamble, and and doing that for uh, nine years. I did that for nine and a half years. Wow! And I and I worked wow. for the for the orange juice, and then I moved over to toilet paper and and bounty wow. paper towels, and and and. Uh, you know, again, I'm not proud of my per se my 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 business career, but the standards that I wrote at Procter and Gamble are still being used today. That's cool. That's neat. And it's it's in essence my legacy. Yeah, that's part of your legacy. You yeah, I mean, yeah. it's neat that my standards that I wrote yeah. are by Rob Remez are still there. Wow. And um, so every time I unroll a, a roll of toilet paper, I can think of you. Yeah, well, yeah, strangely enough. Wow. <laughs> Strangely <laughs> enough, <laughs> that may haunt me for the next couple of weeks. Yeah, but, uh, just just Charmin, per se. right? Just Charmin, okay. So, um, the uh, I'm working um, pr- before going to work for Procter and Gamble. I worked for Toyota uh, for a little bit, and and I met a bunch of great guys and, and friends, and they were friends from high school. And again, it's one of those favor things and stuff like that. And so I'm working for Procter and Gamble. I'm on top of the world. I'm I've got my dream job. I buy a Jeep. I am I'm happy. I'm content. I'm 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 completely thinking I did all this by myself. Ah, yeah. Yeah. And I have a very good friend, Mike Loomis, who says, Your life is way too awesome. And what you, did he mean you, by that? Well, he he's like your your life is too good for you to be just doing it by yourself. Hmm. And so hmm. interesting. So his wife had a friend, and they had they concocted this plan of introducing us that had failed a couple times before, and. So it all culminated in uh, my friend Mike telling me that he was having a party at his house, and that hey, you know, come come over, and I, you know, I knew what kind of parties we used to have, and you know, there was always a lot of barbecue and a lot of you know drinking and yep. you know the stuff you do at barbecues. Yep. 
and I show up with like literally 10 cases of beer yep. because that was what I did because yep. I'm I'm at the top of my game yep. I'm I want to enjoy it with everybody yep uh, well it turns out there was no barbecue there was no party it was just them uh, and Stephanie <laughs> and they introduce us and then they disappear oh my gosh and it was this awkward weirdness where we were kind of forced to meet each other yeah. and talk to each other. And it was weird because I liked her immediately. Ah. What did you like about her? Well, she was, I mean, and I still believe she was still smoking hot yeah. in my eyes. Yeah. Beautiful. I yeah. And she had an interesting story. Yeah. And... Uh, one of the things that really impressed me about her was that she knew where she wanted to go. Mm. Like, she had a plan. Yeah. And I'm just, like, I have no plan. <laughs> I'm going to bars, like, three, four nights a week. Yeah. Because yeah. I love to dance. Sure. Right? Yeah, I remember those days. Oh, I yeah, love... that was fun. Oh, this back with the with the, the flat top and the pinned pants and the yeah, yeah. looking ridiculous oh. now. John Travolta, whatever that. No, that's that's, that's that's all. Right, that's, <laughs> that's, that's too old. No, that's my generation, <laughs> though. Yeah, but yeah, I, I would I'd love to go out and dance and just have fun and. Yeah. I had nothing. I had nothing stable in my. I had no plan. I was going like, like the the checks I was getting. I was getting paid pretty well. They were meant to be spent. For <laughs> yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. Pay pay my my bills and then spend. Yeah. Absolutely, every set <laughs> left. Just a ridiculous well, stuff. That happens when you don't have a plan. That's exactly what happens when you don't have a plan. So I really yeah. love the fact that she had a plan. Yeah. She worked for Wells Fargo, and she was, she was gonna do. You know, she she, oh, she was a painter, and it was a big deal. And I yeah. was like really impressed by her, yeah. and not really understanding that she was like six years younger than me. Because yeah. at the time, I didn't know. I had no clue. I thought she was, like, even maybe a little older than I was. Was she more mature than you were? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Still is. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably true. Yeah. The, uh, but I was, I was, uh, I don't know what the word for, but I was, I was. Smitten. Smitten. Oh, swept off worse feet. than smitten. Yeah. I That's was infatuated with her. I, I mean, love that. And so it was, you know, it was a weird circumstance. We got, we got fixed up. It didn't fit into my plan. It didn't fit into her plan because she had a boyfriend, yeah. one, yeah. who was in the navy and was on on a, a was in Korea at the time. So, um, yeah, it just it, it. There's no way it should have it should have worked. Yeah. Again, right. Looking yeah. back on it, it. Yeah, you know, I might have picked her, but she was chosen for me. Yeah, yeah, and. It just it just got more and more, and then eventually it got to the point where it was like, uh, I, I remember uh, I was washing dishes at my mom's house after she had fed me. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. thank God she fed me. It's like, it the only way I ate. It was leeching off family and friends. And I'm washing dishes, and I'm talking to my mom, and I'm like, and she's asking me all the usual. She's asking yeah. me all these questions about, yeah. you know, are you dating anyone? I said, well, yes. I, I met somebody. It's like really. She's like, she's like, and I think she said something really negative. Like I hope it was, you know, it's like I hope it's not this person because you know there were definitely people that she didn't like for me, yeah, right? <laughs> you know, being very protective. And I said, no, this you don't know this people, you don't know this family, and they 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 live three hours again. Another another thing that doesn't work. They were three hours away. Wow. It's wow. like this should never have worked. Yeah. And I told I told my mom I said I don't know there is something about this girl. There is something about this girl. I might be done. Yeah. And my mom like stopped like you like the record player just yeah. got scratched. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> what? I said, "Mom, I might be done. I'm this this girl is different than any other girl I've ever met. I've never met anybody like this." And it just seems that she's, like, interested in me, too, which is, yeah. like, that's shocking. Yeah. I'm yeah. shocked. And, you know, it's like magic. Yeah. And, um... What do you think Stephanie saw on you? Uh, you know, 
I joke with her all the time about how she was just looking for a sugar daddy. But, uh, uh, because she, I mean, she was, uh, again, the same story. You know, we, we come from non-affluent families and, yeah. and we've never had anything, you know. And she, yeah. You know, she drove a car that was 15 years old and I've got this brand new car and, you know, and it's like, uh, uh, you know, it's really impressive. And I think a lot of that stuff was like the, the dazzling sparkle side of it. But I, I think really what it boils down to is that, you know, I go back to the, the, the character, the personality. Is like my feelings for her were very sincere. Yeah. And I think she went a lot of her life not having relationships where pure there was pure sincerity in it. Yeah. There was always some kind of a ulterior motive, a, a ulterior motive, or a hook, or some you know right. an obligation or a yeah. duty or something like that. And a, yeah. And and I, I don't think she ever really felt that real you know sincere like love component yeah and that's sad yeah but uh, I think that's maybe what you know attracted her I think initially to me and then she got and then she realized that okay this is this is like real yeah um so how long did you two date before you eventually end up proposing so well the proposal actually came probably far more earlier than it should have because I was convinced yeah and in fact, I was convinced before she was. Uh, I had a little bit more to prove on my side, which all which just goes to show that I was the one that was blessed here. Yeah. Well, amen. And it's good yeah. to recognize that. Yeah. Weird, yeah. So I had a little bit more convincing to do for with her, but like I believe I proposed to her. I want to say it was about eighteen months after we started dating. Okay. Yeah. Um, the L word came out pretty quick for me yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I like, like I said, she was, yeah. and still is, yeah. just my whole world. Yeah, that's good. That's beautiful. Um, but like uh, yeah, so I and I did. Oh, I tell you what, I did the stupidest thing through the proposal too. Just the the hokiest, dumbest thing. Good. Let's hear it. Part two of my episode with Rob Jimenez ends here. We'll pick back up with Rob's story and how he ultimately proposed to his wife, Stephanie, next week in Rob's final episode. In the meantime, to all our listeners in Podville, thank you for being such loyal listeners. I appreciate each and every one of you. To a very special friend of mine, I love you dearly. To all our other listeners, thank you for listening. This has been another episode of Real Friends.